Good morning. It's great to see you guys this morning. Could you turn to someone next to you and say good morning to them? Greet them. Maybe you don't know them, and uh, it's a good time to, to find out who they are. Man, we're glad that you are here today. This has been a wild week, right? Isn't this been a crazy week? We talked about that already, I think, this morning. On, on Thursday, it was like, on Thursday, it was like the days of Noah, isn't it, right? Yes. And, and then Saturday, it's, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas kind of thing. And, and, and then today, well, it's, it's, it's the Lord's day. It's a good thing, right? It's a really good thing. And, and so, you know, it's it's wonderful. It's kind of funny, uh, you know, being a Southerner and growing up in the South, I guess, that part of my life, that the snow's a big deal to us, right? And some of you even prayed for that. You, you actually actually had a prayer. You prayed for that, and you say, man, God answered my prayer Saturday morning or Saturday sometime mid-morning. It starts all this white stuff falling in such a great uh, moment, and sort of, it's like, boy, this is what I've been really wanting is this stay-at-home day, and we're going to make some chili, and the kids are going to play outside or whatever, and, and then it's going to be this snowy day, and then you wake up this morning, and it's gone, right? Yes, it's, it's gone. Have you ever have you ever wanted something so bad and it seems like it's just in your grasp or you're able to put your hands on it maybe and then all of a sudden it kind of dissipates it goes away right before your eyes well that's the story this morning from the book of John we start in John chapter 11 in verse 55 through 57 and then we go to John chapter 12 which is the story we want to talk about for a few moments that is the triumphant entry of Christ into Jerusalem but but I it, it is just real just this narrative about what it seems to have something right in your grasp and then all of a sudden reality hits and it's gone or it's not what you thought it was to begin with. So we start in John chapter eleven, which kind of leads us into chapter twelve, verse fifty five, following it's following the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and it says this and now the Passover of the Jews were at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Verse 56 kind of gives us, um, uh, it, it gives us an understanding of the narrative we're about to find ourselves in. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? It's, it's sort of this setting you have in church. You know, as we do this, you have this conversation. Is he going to show up? Is he going to be here? Is he not going to show up? There's some reasons why they're asking these questions that he will not come to the feast at all. Why are they asking? Verse 57 explains this to us in some ways. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, talking about Christ, that he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So they're having this conversation. Is Jesus going to show up for the Passover feast in Jerusalem? And the one reason they're having it because he has, I mean, he's a wanted man. He has a price on his head. And then secondly is because they think he's the one. Yeah, they think he's the one in light of him raising Lazarus from the dead, that he's the one, that he's the one that's going to come back and he's going to fix all of their problems, all their woes and all of their issues in life. It's the making of a dream is exactly what this is. Yes. So for a moment, I think we can, with our imagination, place ourselves in the very center of this narrative this morning to recall a moment in your life where you thought 
oh, this is it, man. This is it, you know. And, and I know this is it. When you say those kinds of things, that can have a, a very negative connotation too. Like, you know, after you speak those words, hey, watch this, you know, the famous last words of a redneck, right? And then, and then, and then you have this thought, this is it because I'm about to die, right? Now, now that's not what this is. It's not. It's like, well, it's an answer to a prayer. It's the coming together of a plan in your life. It's a return of, a, of investment, whether not just monetarily, but maybe a relationship investment in your life. It's a moment where you have thought, oh, I have found the right, I have found, you know, my man or my woman. I have found Mr. Right or Mrs. Right for my life. It's at that moment. It's John chapter 12. That's exactly where we are with this crowd at Passover because they view it as a Passover like no other Passovers now. I mean, this has been done and celebrated since God gave them this command to do this since that of the Passover in Egypt way back in the Old Testament. Yes. So is Jesus going to show up? And if Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, dude, he raised Lazarus from the dead. So that means that this is all going to be okay and everything is going to be fine and he's going to fix this. And the Romans are no match for anybody that can raise someone from the dead. That's it. Finally, we're going to have a king like the Old Testament king of David. We're going to have that kind of king and he's going to run the Romans out of town because this is the one. It's a dream come true. And so if you are feeling this way and if you are seeing Jesus in this light, then what do you do? You throw a parade. That's exactly what you do. And that's exactly what they're talking about. And that is John chapter 12. You throw a parade as if he is like this king returning to Jerusalem after this uh, uh, victorious battle that he's fought. Yes. And so I thought about a parade for a moment. You know, we all like parades, I guess. And, and, and I do, right? And so in a parade, what do you do? Well, you get there three hours before it ever starts to stake out your place on the side of the road. Isn't that right? Yes. You, 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 you actually create this sort of compound for you and your family. You put out a blanket. You put out chairs. And you give everybody dirty looks that gets near that area. Isn't that right? So because I've been here three hours and I dare you to encroach in on our space, you know. I've got aunts and uncles and cousins and people I love and I don't even like in my life. They're coming. So I've saved this space for them. Yes. And so we claim that territory. I've seen people do it at Christmas parades all the time. And you don't dare get into their encampment, right? And so the parade begins. It begins. And, and in the South, man, our parades are kind of different, right? They, they, they are. And so in, in, our, in the South, well, we have the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts. You have them in the parade. And, and, and then you have all the little kids in all the dance groups in all the parades, right? And, and then, you, then you have politicians. And then you have more little kids in dance groups. In, and then you have the beauty contest winners. Like they do this kind of thing, right? Yes, you have that. And then you have more little kids in dance groups is what you have, right? And then you have some guy riding a four-wheeler that you don't even know why he's in the parade, but he's waving at everybody. Like, who is he? But everybody waves back at them. And, and, and then, you have, then you have the bands, and then you have the honored guests. And at the end, oh, there's a car. They're usually sitting on the back of the car. It's a convertible. It's the, he's the grand marshal of the parade. It's the person of honor. It's, it's the person that sort of parades focused upon that day. And so he, this is the Jerusalem. This is this moment that they, they feel like they, they have a king. They have a king, but unbeknownst to them, unbeknownst to them that their parade, oh, it's actually more like a funeral possession. And you say, Mark, 
Thank you for raining on our parade today, right? Yes, thank you for doing that. No, but it is. That's exactly what this is. Because when we go to chapter 12 in a moment, what we realize is, oh, it's Sunday. It's Sunday in Jerusalem. And and Jesus has just attended this party. Lazarus was at the party. Lazarus is always the life of the party. And that was a joke. Okay, did you even get that? No, it just boom right over your head. I know it's, it's a very deep thought, but it was. Yeah, he's always the life of the party. And at that party, Mary anoints Jesus' feet with this very pricey um, um, oil. And, and then Judas is freaking out because she's, he says she's wasting this money. This money could have been given to the poor. We know that's not Judas's heart at all because the scripture tells us that he's been embezzling from funds from the, from, from the bank account. And, and, and so does Jesus show up? Does Jesus show up and does he get a kingly welcome? Well, here's the first thought of a couple of things before we read in chapter 12 together this morning, starting with verse 12. And the first thought is this, not all kings are created equal. Not all kings are created equal. It's John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day the large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So it's exactly what we thought, that they see him as this messianic king, that he's going to come and fix everything for them. Verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it was written. Fear not, just as it was written. And, and so what he does, he quotes the book of Isaiah in verse 15, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, talking about the resurrection, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The disciples, the resurrection with the disciples was always the moment when they connected all the dots. In verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason, look at this, 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign, talking about raising Lazarus from the dead. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And so the manner in which they welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem that day, on that Sunday, oh, it's a clue to who they think he is. Yes, that they see him as some messianic king. But they're not grasping a fact about really who Christ is. Yes, he is a king. But he's not just a king of Israel. But he's the king of all the creative order of everything in the world that exists that day, far beyond that of the, of the borders of Israel. What we see here is nationalism at its height is what we see. That he's come to simply be their king and to be their Messiah, to be their savior. And what they don't see is that of the sovereignty of God, that he is fully God and fully man, man in the incarnate Christ, that he is king over all of existence. And you say, Mark, why do you even bring that up? Because there's most likely someone here this morning that you see Jesus as his historical figure. You see him as a great man in history who's done wonderful things, but yet you don't see him as that of savior and king for all of mankind, of all of humankind. And I think that some people really struggle with that area in in their life. Can I tell you something about Jesus as we look at this for a moment and this nationalistic celebration of Jerusalem that he is going to be their king and going to simply break the bondage of the Romans over them. And, and my thought was this, and I wrote in my notes this, this week, is this, that Jesus 
is not just an American savior. You need to understand that. I think it's important that you and I have this global view of what God is doing in, in this, on this planet, that he is not just an American savior. Here's the thing, that Jesus does not favor the United States of America over any other country on the planet. Realize that. That he, he does not, that he does not love us more than he loves someone else in Venezuela, Nicaragua, Nicaragua or, or, or any Ukraine or wherever else in this world, that, he, that he, he does not. And when I realize this, I say they are worshiping him because they think that he specifically belongs to them and that he is for their, to, for their use and to simply break the bondage of the Romans within their life. It is. God is working all over the world today. Do you realize that? God is working all over the world. God does not just favor the United States of America, but he's doing powerful things all over the world. Can I tell you a commercial for a moment? On March the 27th of Friday night and the 28th of Saturday morning, that's next month, that we have here at Hope Fellowship a man that's going to be speaking by the name of Ying Kai. You probably don't know that. And, and uh, you know, Ying Kai, is, uh, he is Chinese by, by nationality. And in the year 2000, he and his wife set a goal within their life that in three years, in three years, they would win, personally win, 18,000 people to Christ, and they would plant over 200 churches in the nation of China, and they did. God helped them to do that. It's absolutely amazing. If you want to know what it looks like to truly be a disciple and to make disciples, then be here that Friday night and that Saturday morning. It's going to be a powerful moment, because God is working all over the world. He is. God is working all over the world. He doesn't just belong to us in the good old United States of America. And I think that's something that we have to understand. It, it really is, yes. And so what happens is this, when we see these people in Jerusalem and they see this nationalistic moment, they have missed, they have forgotten what Zechariah said in Zechariah 9 and 9. He had said this the hundreds, if not a thousand or more years before this. He said in Zechariah 9 and 9, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteousness and having salvation in him, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And, and I read that it's, the, it's a fulfillment right before their eyes, but all they can see is what God is going to get them out of. And, and that's an interesting thought. It really is. It's blurred by how they think that, well, this is not necessarily playing out like exactly like we wanted it, but yet here's a king and we're in need of this king, so he's going to break us out of this bondage. Man, how many times have there been those moments in our life when we've had this dream? We've had this thing that, boy, I've got this thing, I've got my hands right around this thing, and if I can just hang on to it very tightly, then, then it's, it's mine forever. And all of a sudden, we wake up to the reality that we no longer have that in our life. And, and it's such a powerful story this morning to you and I about the reality of how we live in a broken world. They're crying out Hosanna to him. Do you know what the word Hosanna means? I looked it up because I thought, you know, I, I knew exactly what this meant. But the word Hosanna here, when they cry, it means save us or help us. It's, it's this powerful imperative that they're almost commanding Jesus by saying, hey, you're a king, do something about where we are. Yes, you're a king, so you fix this situation within our life. Do something. They weigh palm branches to simply say that he's like a victorious warrior. He's coming back from battle. He has already won this war on their behalf, and that's how they see him. And it's not a bad thing. Realize that. It's not. No. But they're missing a point. Yes. Because they show up for a coronation who they think is now going to be the king of Israel. 
and a few short days they attend a funeral. Is what they do. See, Mark, that's a real bummer, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you go to the parade and it ends up being a funeral possession. That's a, that's a real bummer. That, that really is. I'm taking my blanket and my chairs. We're going home, you know? We're not sitting around for that. Absolutely not. No, yes. So I begin to look at this with my imagination as Jesus is the incarnate Christ, fully God and fully man. So he feels the way we feel and he's had the thoughts that you and I have. And I thought, did Jesus ever have a moment during that time of riding in on that donkey and, and all, of the, all of the celebration going on. Did, did, because I think, you know, God calls us to things, but yet life can be distracting. And not all distractions are bad. They're, they're not. And so did he have a moment when he looked at his people whom he loves greatly? Did he look at all of them? And, and did that thought ever come to his mind that I am a king? I can fix this right now. Yes, I can fix this right now. All I have to do is say the word. All I have to do is call an army of angels uh, on behalf of my children. I can fix this right now that I'm a king. At some point, all of creation is going to bow their knee before me. And, and, you know, I wonder if Jesus was ever tempted as I kind of, you know, see him in that of being fully man and fully God, that man part of him. Was he ever tempted to simply take the easy solution? How many times in our lives have we opted for the easy way out? Yes. How many times in our lives have we opted for the easy way out to a physical challenge of our lives? How many times? Yes. You know what? I, I, I hate going to the gym, right? I mean, you know, if, if you love going to the gym, something's wrong with you. And, and so I, I hate going to the gym, and I'm just saying that, you know, jokingly, but I, I realize it's, it's very good for you, and, and you like it. It releases endorphins and all that other blah, blah, blah that you're going to tell me later on, okay, right? Yes, yes. But, but what if you could take a pill that's going to do the exact same thing for you that would be going to the gym, right? What if you were to do that? Pill might be expensive. You're going to find a way to buy that pill. Absolutely. I'm not going to have to put on my shoes and run anymore. I'm not going to have to break a sweat any longer. Absolutely not. That, that you know, that I, I can eat biscuits and gravy every morning again for breakfast. And still, I'm going to have this amazing physique. And, and I'm going to have what I want. And I'm look exactly like I've been working, you know, my, my heart out for. Then we try to take the easy solution. How many times have we tried to take an easy solution for a spiritual challenge in our lives? Well, if I just push this person out of my life and, and, and I don't have any contact with them anymore, and, and instead of being light in the darkness of, of their own lives, then it's going to be easier for me to do that if I just break their relationship. If I just turn my head if I just close my eyes, it's not my business what other people do anyway, then life is going to be a lot easier for me if I don't kind of, in, you know, if I don't insert myself into their lives. It is, yes, yes. You know, we, we look at things like, oh, there's biblical stories. God, you want me to get in that boat and row out in the middle of the storm? Are you sure there has to be an easier way? God, why did you make a great fish to swallow me when I was in the middle of a storm? All you had to do is just simply calm the storm. Or, uh, you know, a lifeboat would have been a lot better than a big fish. It, it, it really would have been. Yes. Who doesn't want the easy way out? Who doesn't want the painless way out? 
And you say, but Mark, this is a story about Jesus. And I mean, he's fully God. You know, you keep saying that. So I really can't connect with him in the middle of all of this, in this narrative, because he never has thoughts like we have. Really? Same chapter, verse 27. Can I read this verse to you? It says this. The words of Christ, in light of what he is facing, now is my soul trouble. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Yes. And then, you know, that's that moment, right? Oh, there could be an easy way out of this. But he has this moment of clarity within his life. And I think that God sends those moments to us when we are looking for an easy way out. He has this moment of clarity within our lives where he... In his understanding of who the Father is and understanding of the Father's character and nature and the Father is sovereign, he says this, but for this reason I have come to this hour. Yes. Can I tell you, the easy way out of things is not always God's idea. Many times it's ours. Yeah, it's ours. Man, we hit the escape button. We, we want out of this very thing. We do. And he goes on to say in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. There's this voice from heaven. It comes Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Is what he says. For, for this purpose, he says. Yes. And, and so I begin to think about this. What you allow God to do. And, and I say that. Can I, can I qualify that statement by saying, is saying this? God allows you to allow. Did you know that? You, know, you have to realize this is God. He is sovereign. So qualifying that statement by God allows you to allow. That what you allow God to do within you impacts what God does through you. What you allow God to do within your life impacts what God does through your life. Yes, but I won't out. That's understandable, man. Nobody's going to throw rocks at anybody in this room if they want the easy way out because that's that's how we're wired. That's it. Yes, and Jesus is not sitting next to you this morning looking at you, you know, and, and and he's saying, bro, I can't believe that you ever had that thought because I've never had a thought like that. That's not it at all. He's been there. Escape for you and I is not always God's plan. Because what God does within us and how we allow God to work within us truly impacts how God works through you and I. And so where you are this morning and what God is doing in your heart and life, even if it may be a place where you're seeking to try to escape that place, have you ever thought about this, that God actually has you there for a purpose because he's doing something within your heart, in your life, so he can work through you in a powerful way? So I, I thought about this scenario. Man, they go from two emotions, right? They, they go from, and we're going to read this in a moment, they go from this mo- emotion of celebration. Yes, blankets out, sitting on the curbs, you know, all the little dance groups have come by and the bands have played and all those kinds of things have happened in the parade. They go through celebration to disillusionment. I mean, it, it's right there in those very same moments. They're celebrating and all of a sudden this, this moment of disillusionment within their life. Can I tell you what? God is working in that tension of celebration and disillusionment. And God works in and through the tensions of our lives. Oh, I don't want to have tension in my life. Hey. Nobody gets in that line. I get it. I really do. Nobody just gets in that line on purpose. No. 
And I think what we do is we desperately embrace this idea, which is an untruth, I think, that all those moments in tension, of tension within our lives are purely works of the devil. And that is untrue. That so many times they're actually a very righteous work of God within our lives. That God allows us to be placed in those moments of tension. And those moments of tension within our lives are not for those things to, for us to be relieved of those things. But yet what they're there for is for you and I to manage those things through the power of God within us. Because we're growing. Why? Because we understand that what Jesus said that, hey, even though I want out of this, I understand that God, you have a purpose for me. You have a purpose. This is not about me. But you have a purpose for me. I, I heard a, a, a preacher, teacher, whatever you want to call this individual, not say their name. I do remember who they are. But they said this years ago. I wrote it down because I said, Mark, never believe this. I wrote it down and wrote beside it, never believe this. Okay, And, 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 I, and the, the statement by this person was this. The Holy Spirit is the, and this is weird, Okay, so hang on. They said the Holy Spirit is the spiritual grease of our lives. I thought, that's weird, isn't it? Yes. Like they're comparing the Holy Spirit to lard or something. Yes. So the Holy Spirit is the spiritual grease of our lives. And when he's working in our life, our life always goes smoothly. Do you know what I say to that? Bull. I'm mean, really, that's what I say to that. Yes. That is bull. Is exactly what that is. Yeah. You, you've got to, listen, if you believe that, then start tearing pages out of your Bible because you need another translation because it's really going to mess you up when you begin to read all of Scripture. It really is. No. And what Jesus does, he makes this extremely plain to us in this narrative. Verse 29, same chapter. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it was thunder, talking about the the angel of the voice from God that has spoken to heaven. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine, because Jesus already knows his purpose. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the rules of this world be cast out. I underlined verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, here's the tension. You feel it? Celebration, disillusionment, all in very close moments. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? And I kind of laugh when they say, make this last statement, who is this Son of Man? We thought you were a king, you know? Hey, hold the parade, no more confetti kind of deal. Stop the ban. Have we made a mistake here? You know, have we made a mistake here? Because this is not the way that we had planned it out. And when I, when I re- begin to digest all of this text, what I realize, it's not just the crowd in Jerusalem, it's the disciples. It says the disciples don't even remember these things or don't understand these things till after the resurrection. It brings clarity to their life. The resurrection always brings clarity. I say this as sort of a side point. Why? Because, well, many people have been crucified, but only one person conquered the grave, and that's Jesus. So it really brings clarity to all things within our life. And so I thought about this. That they didn't really understand this as the disciples till after the resurrection. Can you trust God? Here's a thought for you. Can you trust God that God has already sorted out all the details of your life, but the understanding of all of the details of your life may not be apparent to you until sometime later? 
Have you ever thought about that? And for some of you, can I tell you something? You gotta love me. Okay, you gotta really love me after this. That later sometimes for some of you is even heaven later. Did you know that? Mark, I don't wanna hear that, right? I wanna know now. This is what I wanna know now. I wanna know exactly why. Can I tell you, as the disciples, as bears this out so powerfully, you and I as a point this morning, that can you trust God that he sorted out all the issues and the details of your life, every moment, every nanosecond of your life, but yet that of your understanding of what that looks like and how, what that means within your life may come later for you. Can you trust God without truly having a complete understanding of those events in your life? Hmm. We should take a survey right now, shouldn't we? Yes, we, I think we should. I feel that. I feel the Lord speaking that, right? No, I'm not because I want, I, you're thinking. And, and that's what this is about. You're thinking that through. Yes. Now, I have to clear something up with you before we go on. And, and, and this is such a powerful story this morning that here's Jesus. He openly enters a, a city where he's a marked man. You know, and, and he's not doing that by ignorance because he's the incarnate Christ. Man, he knows all things, so nothing is a surprise to him. We know that last week we read from, we read from John chapter 21 where Peter says that, Lord, you know everything. So why would Jesus just walk straight into trouble? And your first thought is, oh, he is just walking into trouble for me. That's exactly right. And can I tell you the answer to that is no and yes. It's no and yes. Because when we read the Bible, fully understanding the Bible, what we realize is that God is for God. God is about his own glory. We need to understand that. Jesus is about glorifying the Father by making his love known. And who does the Father love through the Son, Jesus? He loves us. Yes, absolutely. So he's making this known that he does love us, that he is for us. Yes, he's not against us. And that sustains us in the moments of our lives. But it's not all about us. It's about God's purpose being worked through our lives. And the easy way is not always God's way. Well, Mark, this is, a, this is like a, a mixed crowd. There's people here that have been walking with Christ for a while. There's people that have been, just started walking with the Lord this morning, you know, or, or maybe this week, or, or whatever, or you're can even considering walking with God right now in your life. And, and so it's a mixed group. And, and I, so what you're talking about is really for people that are a little more seasoned you know, kind of deal in, in their relationship. No, no, because when you begin to look at this, my next thought is that outsiders are becoming insiders in this very text. And I use the word outsiders not because that's the way I see you, but that's the way you see yourself sometimes. That's not the way the church sees you. Look at verse 20, same chapter. We go back to that. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. They're not Jews, but they're Gentiles. But they're interested in God they're interested in God and that leads them to Jesus so these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him sir we wish to see Jesus so what does Philip do Philip went and told Andrew Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus I always love this why Philip needs some backup man he's not going to go to Jesus say Jesus there's a bunch of Gentiles that want to come talk to you you know have this conversation with you because they don't know how he's going to respond to what would be considered in their culture outsiders Because up to this point, Jesus' audience has primarily been Jews. It's the truth of the matter, historically, yes. But it's not unusual for Gentiles to attend the Passover in Jerusalem because they were interested in God. They can have an audience here with Jesus, but they can't go into the temple and make a sacrifice for their sins. 
I think it's a powerful analogy that, that we have right here in the middle of this story. But what Jesus does, he never speaks to them personally. But he does speak to them about his, their place in his community. And so what he does, he, he smashes all the barriers in their lives that very day as he does to you and I. Because you and I, we, sometimes we feel like we have barriers between us and God, whether that of birth or behavior, that we have these barriers between us and God. Like them, they can't enter the temple to make a sacrifice, but they can have an audience with that of the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for all humankind, that Jesus redeems all things in our lives. I love this. That he redeems all things within our lives regardless of our history. And so if you've counted yourself out this morning, if you've somehow disqualified yourself today, can I tell you, first of all, you were never, as we said last week, you never had the power to qualify yourself to begin with. That's the work of God. So if you never have the power to qualify yourself, then how in the world could you ever have power in your life to disqualify yourself in having a relationship with God? Because he redeems all things. He redeems all things. So the last thought this morning is this. The last thought is you better be careful what you ask for, for you might get it. You better be careful what you ask for. We've probably all been told that is a word of wisdom from from our parents or a friend. You better be careful what you ask for, for you just might get it. Do you really want a king? Come on. Is that what you want? No, the question is, do you really want this king? Yeah, because have a king means you have to afford him the honor due to him. How do you honor a king? You honor a king by serving and submitting to his will for your life is exactly how you honor a king. That's it. Yes, but wait, we only want to be free from the tyranny of the Romans. That's exactly what we want, that we want to get out of it. And that's understandable for them. But the easy way is not always God's way because the easy way does not always complete our lives. We just want out. Same chapter, verse 23. We finish our story together. Verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. I also, if, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, can I define life for you for a moment? Say, Mark, we don't have time for that. You're going to get like real philosophical. No, I want to define the word life, not to be overly academic, but the word life here is actually the Greek word psyche. And what is, it's amazing is this, that when he uses the word life, he's referring to the human soul and the mind and the spirit. So this word life here far exceeds just that of your breathing and blood is throwing, flowing through your heart this morning. No, here Jesus encompasses our whole being. This is about all of us. This is about everything about our lives. It's a radical call for Jesus to simply influence and flavor every minute detail of our life is what this is about. So that of compartmentalized living is not life that you find in John chapter 12. I can't say, hey, I'm going to hang on to this part of me if I'm going to call him king and I'm going to give him this part of me. That's not the way it works here. Understand that. This is about this all-encompassing presence of God in everything about us. Everything. That we hold nothing back from him as if we could. Yes. Well, God doesn't really care about those small things about my life. Listen, this is a Savior 
who rides into trouble for the glory of God and for your fulfillment. He does care about everything in your life. He does. Because when he is glorified, I am most fulfilled within my life. So he cares for us. Understand that. Yes. But we were never created. Never created to live this autonomous life. Never. We were never created to simply you and I being the center of our existence. We were created. Go back and read the book of Genesis. The first couple of chapters. And you'll realize and understand why we were created. We were created to live in union with Christ. We were created to live in union with God. That is absolutely understandable when you read those kinds of things. But there are distractions in the broken world in which you and I live into that kind of life. Good ones and not so good distractions? Yes. I want the easy way out? Oh, absolutely. But this is a radical call. For God to influence and flavor every, every minute particle of my life. Can I read a really hard text to you? You say, Mark, the, what you just read about that, about hating your own life and, and all those kinds. That's, that's pretty hard. No, can, I, can I even take it a step further? It's the words of Jesus in Luke 14 and 26. You're saying, no, I want the easy way out. No, we're not, it, the Lord's not going to give you that this morning. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. You see the connection? Yeah, that he cannot be my disciple. Now, before we go any further, can, can we have a real understanding of this before we pray? This is not about self-hate. Understand that. So just get that out of your mind. But this is about a clear rejection of one's self to autonomy and control. This is about you rejecting this idea that you are the center of your own existence and that you control everything about your own life. Jesus speaks here to you and I about choices and about attachment, about the choices that we make in life and the things that we attach ourselves to in life and, and the things we should dis, uh, de-attach ourselves to within this life. Yes, our obedience to Christ, his purpose in our life must be so thorough in our own lives that nothing is distracting within us, that my mind and my heart is always fixed upon him. Does that mean, Mark, that I can't think about anything else but Jesus? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that, that anything else in your life must always be thought of in the light of Jesus. Understand that. It's about choices. And it's about attachment. It's about rejecting this claim of self-control in your life because what I realize when I read, especially verse 25, and, and you can read that later, read those verses, digest those verses between 23 and 26. They're so powerful. But what I realize is to reject the claims of self and control in my life is actually the only way that I really can care for my one true self. It really is the only way. Because it says here that if, if, I, if I hate self, what it says here is I keep, it for, I keep my life for eternal life. It's the way to truly caring for my one true self. Amidst all the books and amidst all the sermons and all the things. And I don't claim to have the only truth. Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But what I realize and I think what we have to walk away from here understanding is that following Christ is not always easy. But yet it is significant for our lives. It is. We throw words around like being a disciple. We, we, we throw terminology around like that. 
But what, I read this somewhere. I don't remember where. I wrote it in my journal some time ago. And, and it says that at, at the heart of discipleship is love. And at the heart of love is sacrifice. We know the depth of someone's love for us by the sacrifice that they, they make for us. It's why Jesus rides into Jerusalem knowing that he's a marked man. No greater love has anyone than they lay down their life for their friend. Jesus purposely and perfectly accomplishes that. So it covers you and I in grace in all those moments in our lives when we find ourselves selfish and self-centered. We find ourselves trying to control our own lives. We, We find ourselves thinking that I want the easy way out in life, that he covers all of that with grace within us. He, he does. But yet in this text, he, he gives us four difficult challenges. Can I read them to you before we leave this morning? It's too late for you to tell me no, right? Yeah, we've gone through all of this already. Yeah, four really difficult challenges for us today as, as we leave. The first is this, to die is the passageway to life. Boy, that'll sell books, right? Isn't that great? Yeah? Use that as your devotion next time you get together with the group. And just start out with that. Don't say anything, but just start out with that, right? To die is the passageway to life. As Jesus gives his life, you and I receive life. Oh, that's such a powerful thought. That without him giving life, His life, you and I, would not have life today. So you and I die to self in order that we may truly live. Living with us being the nucleus of our existence is really not living. Understand that. Because that is not the way God made us from the beginning. So we die to this idea that we're the centrality of our existence. And when we die to that understanding, we truly live. The second difficult thing he says to us, he talks about hating our life. And I had to put this explanation, you know, because I thought, man, what if like you left your notes somewhere and somebody said, oh, this is Hope Fellowship. Oh, hating our life is the way to eternal life. And there was no explanation. You didn't write anything on there. That would really throw them, wouldn't it? You just get them going. Hating our life is a detachment from self is the way to eternal life. That this is about choices and attachments in our lives. It's truly about with the grace and the help of God to make choices within our lives that bring glory to God in the kingdom of God. And it's about what we attach ourselves to and what we detach ourselves from in life, in all areas. That I can't compartmentalize my life and say this is God's place and this is my place. No, God's place is all places in my life. The third hard thing he says to us is serving Jesus is following Jesus. Say, Mark, what does that mean? Because it's not always the easy way out for you and I as God is working in our hearts and our lives and developing us. It's not always the easy way out because at times it involves a cross. Serving Jesus is following Jesus. I want to follow Jesus, you know, when he walks on water. That's pretty cool. And I want to follow Jesus when he takes the little boy's lunch and he feeds the 5,000. That's awesome. Hey, I want to walk 
with Jesus when he approaches Lazarus' tomb and they roll away the stone and, you know, and Lazarus' sister says to, in the old King James Version, but Lord, don't you know that he stinketh? You know, that's what it says, right? I'll always love that verse, you know? Didn't matter. Jesus already had a plan or purpose, but I don't want to walk with him to the cross because I really want the easy way out in life. And many times the easy way out in life doesn't complete me. It doesn't bring about what God wants to do in my heart and life. And the fourth is this, serving Jesus has present day eternal implications. He says in verse 26, it's the honor of the Father. What does that mean for you and I, the honor of the Father? That means that we live in his presence in this life and the life to come. That we live in his presence in this life and the life to come. Because in his presence, the scripture says, is fullness of joy. So what does God want me to know? His plan for our lives is not always the easy way out. The tension that I feel in life just might be him. And what does God want me to do to allow him to work in me? Because wow, I allow God to work in me determines how God works through. So for a moment of reflection, would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? For some of you, you, you're sitting here in a moment of tension in your life. They were in a moment of the tension of celebration and disillusionment. And you're in a moment of tension. You're, you're between those things in your life. You know that God loves you. You know that God is for you. But yet you find yourself in a place where you feel you don't have direction or you feel that God has maybe even forgotten you. And I could just go on and on and describe those moments. You know where you are. Can I tell you to take a moment this morning to take just a pause out of your life and to understand that even in the tension of your life, God is working. So for this moment, take your hand off of the escape button of your life. And to understand that God many times works in the hard things. The tensions. The moments where we even question and and even doubt that God works in the middle of all of that. And the hard way is God's way at times, <clears throat> excuse me, in our lives. That the easy ways of life do not always complete us. So submit to God working in your heart and your life. Because how you submit to Him and working in your life determines how He works through you this morning. Lean into who he is and what you know about him. Stand in that this morning in the moment of an uncertainty in your life. 
and it may not erase the storm. It may not make it go away. But what it's going to do, it's going to give you a very sure foundation to stand on in the middle of all of that. Because we're not the center of our existence. It's the purpose that God has for us. And so we trust Him this morning. Father, as we open our hearts and our minds, speak to us. May we know that you are here and that you are for us even in those moments of uncertainty and tension that you're working within our lives today. Thank you, Father.